Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. How's it going, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Knife Talk, uh, where we talk knives, we talk grinds, we talk technique, we talk all kinds of stuff. We talk business. So uh, I'm Marco Malmasi, and with us is our friend Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. Hello. Uh, and Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. Bonjour, monsieur. Mmm, sexy. Oh. Bring it on. What have you guys been up to this last week? This has been a crazy week, my brother, and I'm tired. I'm actually quite sleepy. I had, uh, I just finished sending out all the Cuban knives, 30, <clears throat> we sent out 35 of them and a couple pickups and it was this, ma- and we were, we shipped a day ahead, which I'm pumped about. We got everything finished, got everything sharp. I had a, I just, I was, I was sharpening knives and I had a, my asshole was, was scrunched up the whole time. And other than that, it was fine. Was that too hard for right off the bat? I'm pretty sleepy. The, the visuals, beautiful. Well, you know, well, it was, I went a little hard. I apologize. Listeners, I apologize. But it was a, it was a, it was a shrinker closing day. We got it finished. We got everything wrapped up, put them in the mail, and I'm just catching up on people. Yeah, it's got to right feel now. good, though. Yeah, they turned out awesome. And, and, and actually, Carl... Carl, he's such a good guy. Uh, Sabor Chef is such a good guy. I, I, he, I've been doing little videos and emails along the way to all the customers. And I've been sending him too. And he's just been pumped. And I said, listen, I got these watercolors. I mean, each knife had a watercolor. did individual watercolors. He said, I'd like you to come up to, pick, uh, to, um, to sign them. And he's like, I'm on my way. And he came right up. He came to the shop. We got the shop all squared away. I wanted him to see that it was a really big deal, and I wanted him to see that we weren't just like, you know, you know, had sawdust everywhere, and it was a disaster. <laughs> I had it real set up. He came in. I had food for him, and he was so pumped, and he signed, and he took me out for drinks, and he made me laugh harder than I've ever laughed before. My ribs hurt. <laughs> that dude is so funny. I couldn't even... So it was a great experience. The whole project was great. I'm ready to go on to the next one, and... and um yeah, it was a good week. It looks so satisfying seeing those pictures you posted of all those knives lined up and when they're all ready to be shipped. It just looked it looked great. I I appreciate it, and and I don't know who is more satisfied, me or or, or my Carl, Carl uh, Carl Childs. He was so. It, the best part about it, honestly, was we had a really, 
we were a team and he mm. was into it and he was excited and he was very meticulous about things. And if something was not right, even if it was the smallest thing, he got really into it and he felt proud. You know, I took pictures with him and he wanted to take pictures with me and Carl Ruiz and he was into it. And it was, it was a really, really, really satisfying experience for all of us. So awesome. great stuff. Yeah, great very stuff. happy. What's, what's the plan with Carl? Is, is plan, is Carl planning to make his own knives? Is Carl Childs? Yes, yeah, my, Carl. My, yeah. You know what? I'll tell you what. I I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd like him to make another knife if he wants to. He already made a knife, and actually, when his internship, and he told me this crazy story that his his dad and his dad's friend were over the, at their house, and his dad's friend pulled the knife out and cut himself really bad on Carl's <laughs> knife. And it was like blood everywhere, and I and I, and at first he was like, you know, I guess he went to the hospital and everything like that. And Carl was just like, I think he was a slightly satisfied with his knife. You know, <laughs> you know, these adults they think that they know everything, but uh, yeah. So I think that, I don't think so. Carl's actually, Carl's actually, and I know he's very quiet about it, but he's actually thinking about he wants to go to work on a farm in India. Wow, he's an intense kid. He's an intense kid, and and my business partner and I offered him a raise to stay. So uh, we'll see what he. But he's a good kid. He's going to get ready for college, and he's just you know he wants to make the most of his youth. And I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I love good it. Stuff. I bet they. Uh, the, his dad's friend did the classic. I'm going to touch the edge to see if it's sharp, and he fucking slices himself. Right no, no. <laughs> he actually he actually had his. He was holding it in a way where his hand his like the webbing of his hand. I think was underneath the blade. So when he pulled it out of the Kydex sheath, it just ran it over his hand. Oh. And apparently, it was like <laughs> it was like a gusher. They had to go to the hospital, and Carl was just like you know, just oh. sitting there smiling. <laughs> No, I mean, he was. I mean, everyone wasn't. Ha- I mean, not happy about it. Right. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, but it was like at the same time, it was just like, listen, what do you expect? Stop, don't, uh, yeah, use your head. <laughs> what have you been up to, Craig? Well, I've been back in the workshop for a few days, and it's been great. So I've been, you know, working on customer orders, uh, trying out a, a few new things, and just enjoying getting some work done. Really, because I've I've had you know a month or two of just being in and out of the workshop. Um, but these babies are staying put. They're not, they're not going anywhere. We've had a few scares, but um, all is good. Um, but what I do want to say is a massive thank you to Jarrod for last week. From Jarrod oh, from Boot Hill Blades for stepping oh, yeah. in last minute. He did, he did a great job, and it was really good to listen to. And, you know, it made me want to be on the show. It was, it was great to listen to as a, as a listener. For sure. Yeah, we, I, and thank you to to Mareko who like I, I you know I, I it was it was we had some technical difficulties we already had done a half an hour yeah. and something happened with his feed and 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 he he called me up and he was just like you just do it yourself and I just thank you for you know thank you for for that Mareko and and you know it was sad you weren't in there but the show must go on right man there. the show must go on well I appreciate it and. <laughs> Jared Jared went hard in the paint. Jared went hard in the paint with his beefs. He had some pretty epic beefs. <laughs> I heard them. His beefs are tight, man. Yeah. So if you don't, if you haven't listened to the last episode with Jared from Boot Hill Blades, might as well do it because it's a, it was a good one. It we was a good. good. Time. It was very good. Mareko, what you been up to? Uh, I finally got that stainless steel wood knife finished up. Got it all finished Hallelujah. up. Reformed that tip. Got it all packaged, and um, it's out of my life. <laughs> and it feels good. I actually followed that up 
with a, a bunch of Damascus forging. I've had these patterns that I've been sitting on and really been wanting to play with, but I had to uh, focus on finishing that knife up. And so it's been really nice to transition out of a super stressful build right into something that I know really well that's also somewhat experimental in a way. And uh, I came up with a new pattern that's looking pretty sweet. And it just it feels good to get under the, uh, under the forge or under the forge, under the hammer, out of the forge, onto the grinder, and make some really sweet Damascus. And uh, it's stuff I've never seen anybody else do before. Um, and it, I, a lot of the stuff I do isn't necessarily to uh, do something that nobody's done before, but just to kind of push the boundaries and see what some of the patterns are capable of doing. And uh, I think it's going to I think it's going to be cool for everybody, because eventually I'll turn around and share it, and the whole process, so that other people can... Try to do their own. It bends my mind Amazing. when I see those pictures that you do, and you're like, "Well, we're going to chop it there, we're going to spin them, we're going to chop them." There. I don't yeah. have that spatial awareness to to sort of understand how it would look, but man, it's incredible, incredible. Me neither. I don't know. I I still don't know how you guys do it. I I I'm. I don't. Yeah, I have a hard hard time understanding how you get to where you need to get to with Damascus. I I've that's another reason why I've given up on it. For <laughs> Well, I'm happy to show you stuff, but <clears throat> I didn't realize how different it was that I can do that until a friend of mine, William Brigham, shout out to uh, the Artificery on Instagram. He uh, He's an art major from UC Long Beach, and he was going over, like, he's super talented, very creative artist, uh, great smith, and he, too, is just like, not very many people can do that, and that's... It almost sounds like I'm trying to be uh, self-aggrandizing. It's just, it's weird because I don't even understand why I can do it. I just do it. I can explain how I can get to those patterns, but I can't necessarily explain why I can do it. I just, I see it in my mind's eye and I draw it out and then I reverse engineer it. And then, and then I start from the beginning and make a pattern. It's super weird. You have a system that works. You have a system that your mind, your mind goes, is able to make those leaps in it that's how you you have a map of how you're supposed to get there and you're it's very you have a very systematic way of thinking about it and it makes it a lot easier for you to you know use that you know technique to figure out how you're going to do stuff and it's great yeah. it's fantastic i mean you're one of the be- you're one of the best in the world that's for sure <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank you. I'll take it. Hey, I'll take it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You're in my top five. You're in my top five of all time. You've always have been. You've been right. You're my, my Mount Rushmore. Thanks, baby. You've always have been. Thank you. Thank you. Even before I met you. You're very sweet. Well, it's fine. Well, it's fine. So this week, I've been I've been chatting with a few people and um, you know, other knife makers, and we got into the subject of something that I talked about just a couple of weeks ago, is how I got the, the name Chop Knives, and there's a little bit of a story to that, which was in a few episodes back. But it got me thinking about the the importance of a good name. I mean, you know, there's myself, I use a brand name. Jeff uses his surname and Mareko uses a bit of both with Mamasi Fire Arts. Um, so I thought it would be something good to talk about. So... Hi, my name is... Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. What? My name is... Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. What? My name is... Mareko Mamasi of Mamasi Fire Arts. God, I love a jingle. You motherfucker, you. <laughs> you motherfucker, you. I love that. I love Marshall Mathers. You unbel- you. I'm a fan. You are such a, you are a jingling fool. <laughs> That's what you are. You're a jingling fool. You're making production back there. Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way. You're but, amazing. But on a serious amazing. note, I, I have had quite a few questions. People ask me about, you know, what type of name they should go for. Then, you know, then talking about logos and how that's going to translate to a touch mark. 
So I, I was just wondering about you guys, you know, why you come up with the names that you've got, such as Fader Knives or Malmassi Fire Arts. Um, you know, you, and you heard you heard Jared's story last week. Exactly. Of how he got yeah. – that was unbelievable. That's another thing you reason why you should listen to it because he got sued because his name was the same as another knife maker – another knife company's name. Yeah. Crazy. He was so lucky, so lucky. He had a he had a good guy on his side. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. That was an unbelievable story. Yeah. So let's There's start with you. Let's right start there. with you, Jeff. What you know? Did, did that go through your mind? Am I going to use my name? Am I going to use a brand name? You know, how did you come up come up with the Fade and Knives? I have the I have the stupidest name for my touch mark and my name. Well, I'm not stupidest name for my name, but <laughs> you know, I I didn't know what I was going to do, and I thought I was going to try to. When I started doing it, I was making sculpture, and I thought that I was going to incorporate some of the names of my sculpture. I think that names are very important. I met an old glassblower a long time ago who used the way he used to name his sculptures was it was the the name is very important in when you're talking about art and sculpture. So I was very very conscious of that. I had all these names. And I was just like, yeah, you know what? I should just keep it simple because I also don't want to like. I, at the time, I thought I don't want to like. Was well, this name taken? Is that name taken? So I thought I really felt like I needed to stick with Fader Knives. Mm. But my touch mark is the stupidest. Is the stupidest reason of all time. Long time ago, um, when I was a blacksmith, uh, I used to go. We used to go up to uh, Bar Harbor, Maine, and there's an old barn. Uh, it's called the Tool Barn, and you can go there and you can spend hours in there. It's just filled with filled with tools. So just, I mean, hours. They, at one point, they actually thought that I was shoplifting because I was in there for like <laughs> three hours. So I was looking through. They had all these old stamps, and. When I looked through the stamps, I found one stamp that had, it was three letters. It was G, H, and F. And I thought, eh, that's great. And my wife, or was my, at the time, yeah, it was my wife. She was my wife. And it's, her name's Hillary. So I thought, ah, G, H, Jeff, Hillary, Fader. And I thought, ah, just grab it, you know, a dollar or two. And then I started using it. And I was just like, why the fuck would I put my wife's name in my touch mark? And then, so I took a grinder and I ground out the H. No disrespect to Hillary. No disrespect to Hillary. But it's like, I don't need this. So I took a grinder. I ground out the H. And then I had a G and an F with this giant space in between. And I'm like, well, that's dumb. What am I going to do now? So I started playing with, like, dots and this and that and the other thing. And I threw in this little, like, a starburst, just, like, with uh, with a chisel. And then I hit it and then hit it and hit it and made three little punches. And I was just like, yeah, I feel like it needs to be grounded some more. So I took a, I took a center punch and I put a dot on each side. And I was like, all right, I can live with that. So that became my center punch. That became my touch mark, a G and an H with a star in the middle and then two dots on the side. I just thought visually it looked good. And then I thought, yeah, G and H is fine. I want to have fader knives on my knives. I just figured I'd have the G and H and that's my touch mark. So that's how I got my touch mark. And it, it was it became a production, and I ended up just getting it uh, stenciled, and I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, but it's like you know, well, I think it's the dumbest reason of all time. But I mean, it's just like, what am I going to do now? Well, what am I going to do now? Stuck with it. Here you Stuck are. with it. I, I think yeah, a lot of people don't that. realize that when you know when you're thinking of a name, it needs to needs to translate into logo. As we said, it also needs to be a touch mark, and whether you know you need to consider whether that's going to be stamped or etched or lasered as well. If you're using yeah. you know a, a font, for example, you know you need to make sure it's it's going to be legible. Um, so I, th- I think that's maybe why we see so many different changes with people's brands. That always, I mean, I've refreshed mine probably three or four times in, in what, three, four years. Um, because maybe you're not thinking of it sort of holistically from the very beginning. 
Mm. Um, right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough one. You know, in regards to why use a name or a brand name, I think there's pluses and minuses to both. So, I mean, Jeff, you're using, you know, Fader Knives. It's, you know, it's you, you know, unless unless one day it's going to be Jeff and Carl printed on a knife, you know, it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's Fader Knives. It's showing that it's made well, by I, you. It, there's, there's, it, that's a good thing to show that, it, you know, it's I, made by the maker. I also like the fact that I wanted to look like it was, I mean, I, for years I was physically stamping in the touch mark and I liked the way it looked and I liked, you know, it brings me back to being a blacksmith and I think it's great. So my stamp, my, even my stencil stamp, I kind of, I go deep with the etch and I think that it looks kind of closer to that stamped look. And I think sometimes that's what etching is supposed to look like on touch marks, right? Mm, right. Yeah. What about you, Morocco? Because I mean, you've got you've got a huge name, haven't you? Momassi Fire Arts. Yes, is, you know, it's very it's, long. It's it's long in <laughs> you're long in length. It does not translate into <laughs> it does not translate into a good touch mark. I'll tell you, or at least a stamp uh, for yeah. sure. But I was anticipating using stencils, uh, using an electro marking system. Um, Malmasi Fire, obviously, Malmasi is my last name. So the idea of Malmasi Fire Arts was this concept which is still kind of in the books or on the plans long-term of creating kind of a cooperative workspace, kind of along the lines of what's going on with Dragon's Breath Forge, but a place where people can teach and learn and and also kind of have it, it, like a makerspace, but very focused around metal arts, basically. Hmm. Um, and since I would be kind of the founder, it would be Malmasi Fire Arts. And so I was thinking about it that from that direction, as well as long-term, it felt... It felt good because it it felt like a good umbrella that a lot of maybe other offshoots could happen underneath, um, and so that's why I went with Malmasi Fire Arts instead of Malmasi Knives and Malmasi. And also, you know, a lot of no offense to you, Jeff, a lot of uh, there are a lot of makers who are just their first name and last and then knives, or sorry, their last yeah. name and then knives, uh-huh. and which works. I, I just at the time I really wanted to try to differentiate myself a little bit. And because, I mean, Malmasi is already weird and different enough, but I didn't want to just strap knives on the back of it um, because people are going to be saying that anyways. They don't say Malmasi Fire Arts. uh, Most everybody refers to my stuff as those Malmasi knives. So, yeah, I was thinking kind of... But you also have a touch mark too, though. I do. I I do. Yeah, it's the whole Malmasi Fire Arts. It says Malmasi Fire Arts all in one long line. Uh, I also, don't don't you have a separate one on your on your on your butt oh. plug? <laughs> so oh, your butt plug. That is actually part of my touch mark. It's an it's two M's, stylized M's, uh, rotating around each other. So they they look kind of like flames. But that's for yeah. my initials, Marco Malmasi, and it sits right in the middle uh, after Malmasi and between Malmasi and Fire Arts. And so, yeah. Nice. And so I, Craig, I do Craig, use that did you itself. did you refer to that? At- I'm sorry, but Craig, did you call that his butt plug? It is. It's 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 is it's, that what it's it the, is? It's the plug on the on the on the butt of his knife, you know, on the on the, the back end. Plug. It's threaded though. It's, it's not a plug. It's threaded. So I, I call it. The, <laughs> yeah. So it's not really it's a butt rivet. plug. Oh, yeah, I hear some of those butt plugs kind of, are threaded, but that's that's another story. What kind of, po- what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> it's a it's it's the female end of a corby bolt, and so it right it bolts on. Have mercy. So it's mechanically faceted. Uh, fix affixed to the tang of the knife. Gotcha, and that's etched as well. It is etched, which cool. took me a while to figure out how to get that right, but it works now. Yeah, the same with me. I've been I've had 
big issues with etching. So I've gone through various machines. I finally settled on something that really works for me. But uh, yeah, I just couldn't get it right. And I was using a, I, I think you guys both use a personalizer, don't you? Yes. I do. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I got one. Um, I was originally using one of those um, etchomatics, one of those little handheld things, and it was mm. it was garbage. So I got a personalizer plus, but I just couldn't get a consistent result with it. And I think that's because they were originally designed for 110. But they do a 220 version, which I think has some sort of conversion. It's not it's not designed from the ground up for 220. Oh, interesting. So I think that's the issue that I had, maybe. But um, but yeah, I've got I've got a Pico Electro, which is great. It works on 220, and it's given me this nice clean result finally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's something that I've really struggled with, and you know, I didn't want to go down the lines of of stamping because you know it it's. You know what it's like when you finish a knife. You, it's the last thing you're going to do, and it, you know if you if you crack something or break something at the end, it, it's, oh, it's not going to be good. Yeah, yeah. It took me a while to figure out a good process, order operations. Um, and my my buddy Bill Grulick, Grulick Knives uh, out of New Jersey. He's a really nice guy, super guy, and he gave me some really good tips. At the time, I was getting pretty good results, but they still could have could use some improvement. And he. Uh, he told me his process, which is he wipes with the neutralizer in between each uh, pulse, I guess like five to seven second pulse of the of the etcher. Um, right. So he, he does a like for a five, seven count, something like that. Um, and then he pulls it off, wipes the stencil, wipes underneath the stencil, wipes the steel. And it's, it's a big production, but the cleanliness of my marks it was exponentially better. And so I just, I'll take the extra whatever, five minutes to do it to make a superior, uh, leave a superior mark on my blade because ideally it stays there for the life of the knife. And if it's not deep enough, like like Jeff was talking about how he likes to go pretty deep. Uh, I like to go, I like to put my mark in pretty. What are you laughing about? Pretty good and deep. Just talking about deep marking. Oh, okay, all. okay. Oh, all right. Um, so yeah, but how do you make sure that when you how do you make sure that you on the way when you put it back on after you wipe it that you're not doing like a hologram? Mm. Yeah, the stencil is lined up again. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, just a piece of electrical tape uh, on only one side of the the stencil, so it acts like a hinge. So it hinges off. I clean it all out and then put it back. It hinges right back to the exact same spot every time. All right. Ooh. Risky business, risky business. Risky, risky. Yeah. Craig, you you talked about your story a little bit. I mean, is there more to it? Do you do you think you want to maybe change it down the road? Do you think you want to add to it later? Or I don't think so. Um, I think it's happy. a case of trying to do something a little different because you know, without without putting anybody off, there's there's plenty of bearded, tattooed knife makers out there with sort of similar logos. Um, so I just wanted something that was completely clean. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's not many brands, you know, in the kitchen. If you look around the house, you, you've got all these familiar brands everywhere. But if you're looking in your kitchen and if you take away the sort of electrical stuff, you know, with regards to you, you know, whether it's knives, cutlery, whatever, there's, you know, there's no sort of brands that immediately jump out. So that was the idea behind Chop because, you know, it's a short name. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to get the domain. And that's something else that I think people need to think about as well when they're you know, when they're thinking of a name, you need to make sure that the, the domain's available and you do want right. to be bothering with, you know, .co or, you know, .us forward slash 
.en, whatever it may be. You, you, you're going to want a .com at least. Yeah. You're going to want to make sure you've got, you know, the Instagram handle, possibly the Twitter and Facebook and that kind of thing. It, you know, it's – times are changing. And I think more and more stuff is going to be done online. Um, so, again, with the logo, I wanted to make sure that it was clear and it could be printed at, at various sizes um, and still be legible. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's, I think there's just plenty of things to think about when, when you know, when you're thinking of naming – naming a company not just a knife making company sure and that legibility is actually a really good point because a lot of people actually really struggle to uh, read one just read my name in the first place because Malmasi is very uh ethnic i guess it i mean technically it is it's samoan um but when it's in the kind of stylized font and it's a little bit on the small side so it fits on the knife underneath my my applicator that i use for marching my marking my stencil it can be a little bit tight in there and difficult to read. So legibility, yeah, is definitely a good point. I like that you brought that up. Notes to a new knife maker. Uh, this week I want to talk about packaging knives. Um, it's, it's something that I, I'm constantly, even after I've been doing this for five years uh, on my own, I'm still talking to people about different ways uh, that they package their knives and ship them out, especially when you start getting customers that are either across the country from you or even in another country from you. It's tricky trying to figure out how to safely package up the knife. Um, and I've done all kinds of stuff. Uh, it was My packaging game was actually pretty weak in the beginning, uh, but then I got to this point where I was building these wooden crates around the knives, uh, which was really helpful, but it was also super, a little time-consuming. And most recently... I have started using uh, a fiberboard uh, insulation or a foam board insulation. Uh, at least in the United States, you can get it. And it's essentially, it's a, foam, a dense foam board that is used for uh, insulating walls. And you can get them in 4 by 8 sheets. They break down into 16-inch uh, wide sections. Um, and But you can also get smaller portions, too, if you don't need a whole lot. But uh, with the flat rate boxes in the United States... They're three inches tall, so that's three one-inch sections of the foam board. So you can literally cut out a pocket and make a sandwich uh, of foam board and, uh, and, and very safely and package and ship your knife. It's super dense, so it doesn't compress very easily. Like, I could stand on top of one of these boxes after it's had the foam board, and I weigh 240 pounds. Um, and it's not going to damage or mess with the knife at all. Um, so essentially what I've been doing is I have two pieces that are cut out to the exact interior dimension. Actually, I have three pieces cut out of the exact interior dimension of these boxes. Uh, and then with the middle portion, uh, kind of the meat of the sandwich, I, I cut, I lay the knife down after it's all wrapped up, however I'm going to wrap it up. And then I outline it with a pen and then I go in, I have a kind of modified Sawzall blade that I'll post up a picture on Instagram. Um, but it's a little modified Sawzall blade. And it just goes in. It's like carving a pumpkin. And so you just cut out the little gotcha. yeah. cavity in that middle piece. And then you sandwich it all together, tape it up, send it off. And it's super secure. I just sent a knife to Australia. And it is the most comfortable I've felt about shipping a knife, I think, ever, really. And and especially wow. after all of the trouble that I've gone through to make sure that knife is like spick and span and perfect before sending it out. Last thing I wanted to worry about is packaging. And those boards, they're also pretty cheap. 
they, you know, they're like 20 bucks, but you can cut them down depending on the size of the knife you're shipping and what size box you're shipping in them. You can get multiple um, knives shipped out using one of those 4x8 sheets. Um, so yeah, I just want to share some of my packaging game insight that I've re recently come across. But again, it's, it's the thing that I think a lot of people struggle with. And it's just, this is so easy that I had to share it. Now, do you do you ship your knife with a sheath, or do you ship it in a container, or some sort of packaging besides that, or you wrap them up or something? So like that that stainless knife, yeah. So I I do wrap it up. I make sure it's all waxed out and oiled up the way I want, and then I wrap it in a little paper towel, uh, just to help uh, have I guess something that's gentle against the blade, and then I wrap that in a, a, a plastic shrimp wrap. And then that you can get like a little handheld, about six inch wide uh, thing of from Harbor Freight. And then and then that's when I cut out the cavity in that piece of foam board. Uh, and then I place it in there. Um, and, and when I do have a sheath, like that stainless woods knife did have a sheath that went along with it. Um, I do not ship in the sheath because if for whatever reason there's some weird vibration or the box is dropped... You don't want any kind of un unwanted inertia driving that knife down to the sheath, sheath in a way that it wouldn't normally be used and potentially damaging that thing or damaging the knife realistically. So I had them completely separate from each other and uh, inside that. In the same box. In the same box, but cut out two cavities, uh, one for right. each, and then shipped them in the same box, but uh, not, I guess, coupled or put together. Uh, separately from each other so that makes a lot of sense yeah. i i learned that the hard way i had a knife shipped to to hong kong and a customer got it and i foolishly had sent it with the knife in the sheath the knife was fine but the sheath was not and so uh unfortunately he had to send it all the way back uh just the saya uh i had to do some work to fix that back actually i had to make a brand new one um so actually he sent the whole thing back and and then I had to make a new one, but I, this time around, I sent it, sent them completely separate, or, or sorry, just, just not the. I sent it without the blade in the sheath. Sorry, really struggling. Got right it. Now. No, no, yeah. no. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I wouldn't have, I would never have thought that. I, I, I do, I can understand there being some rattling between the uh, the knife and the and the saya. I would never have thought to, that you would need to do that. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. So. It's difficult. I mean, packaging is. I've, I've struggled a lot over the past couple of years, um, and I've tried all sorts from vacuum forming my own sort mm. of trays. Um, and you know, actually, as we speak, my wife is downstairs sewing up little Hessian sacks that I now put the knives in. Um, you've got to keep her busy while she's off work, you know. <laughs> yeah. you, you're you're unbelievable. Slave driver. This poor woman. She's pregnant. This poor woman. She, but, unbelievable. She's ready yeah, to pop. I, I've you got some her nerve. sewing. <laughs> well, you have some nerve. Yeah. She enjoys it. You have she some nerve. It. We're a team. We're a team. Yeah, Knife yeah she's team. a team. Yeah, team. But yes, you say she's a team. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. So I'm getting just <laughs> Hessian sacking that material, um, and just making small pockets just to put the knife in, sure. so they can be waxed and oiled, put into one of them. Um, but at the moment, then I'm just I'm just putting into a box with these, you know, these these peanuts, these you know, these plasticky foam peanut things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, again, I need to up my game with that, and it's it's just always a struggle. 
So I went through a, a period, probably about six months ago, where I was each individual knife I would vacuum form a tray to go inside a box. Oh wow! Um, which looks great for presentation. It makes a great presentation box. Yeah. But when it comes to shipping, they're they're rattling all over the place. Um, mm. So that didn't really work out. But I'd like to go back to that and maybe you know work out how maybe do a, a tray across the top as well, so it you know holds it firmly in place. Sure. I don't know, but but the way you mentioned is, I mean, it's not a show without talking about Tomer from Florentine. But he does something very similar with his with his shipping. So rather than use the the foam which you're using there, Morocco, right. he uses um, it's like a corrugated um, card. Mm, um, okay. And he just uses them in layers. Yeah. And he simply just cuts up the handle in one of them. So right. then you just stack these corrugated uh, card on top. It's fully sandwiched. Um, he'll just wrap up the the block of card that he has, and 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 they're away. So I think that's a really nice way of doing it. So you're getting protection all the way around. It can't rattle. Right. Um, it's something that I need to look into more, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, man. I, I, I tell you what, when I first started in, I got those – blade protectors and i got a tip guard and it just looked like it looked terrible and 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 i i one of the reasons why i love doing my knives all go with kydex sheaths are it helps with the shipping it all protects the blade it protects everything it keeps it tight um there's good retention so it's not rattling around in the in the case and then what i do is and i actually just posted it to uh jeff fader uh, on Instagram is I just posted all the packages I sent out with the Cuban knives. And what I do is I wrap them up like in butcher paper. I give uh, mm-hmm. bl- a brown butcher paper. And the way I wrap it, <clears throat> it gives me a lot of protection on the t- on the tip and on the heel. But the tip I don't worry about because I, the Kydex is like, I get there's a good half an inch be- between the tip and the end. Yeah. Um, and then I just try to make it nice and I write a little something on it and it fits in a, in a priority box and I put a little ribbon on there. I make a little drawing on there. I make <laughs> it kind of a little bit more personal. I mean, it's the easiest and most consistent and the safest way that I know how to do it. Sure. But in the meantime, my business partner, Tony is like trying to, he's working with a, a box company because our oyster knives are the only thing that are kind of standard. Like all my knives are different every time. Mm-hmm. So if we were to get something made, the only thing that would work would be our oyster knives because they're, like I said, they're pretty standard. So we're looking to get one made and we're working on the boxing that fits into a small priority box and we're looking into it. You know, I'd love, I'd love to have a better um, package when, like you said, uh, that, you know, like that, you know, like when you get an iPhone or a, any kind of Apple product, they hmm. figured it out. That makes you feel like you got something. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that the, to try to figure out a way to make that work plus with the safety of shipping is definitely something to address. Well, it's tricky because companies like that, they can afford the capital up front to buy literally thousands of those boxes all at once. And I would love to get some, like some of the, even just the presentation boxes that uh, a lot of commercially manufactured knives are are, uh, sold in or, or shipped in. They show up, they have these like nice little magnetic flaps, it opens up like a, a briefcase kind of in a way, it's got an infographic on the inside, it's got this form fit, uh, like, uh, case, or not case, but like the foam and stuff on the inside, yeah. everything things just fits really nice, I'm like, man, but the struggle is that because, at least for me, you know, I'm I'm making in such small quantities that I yeah. can't just, it doesn't make sense to buy literally like 500 of these boxes and then not use 
any of like all but maybe it's hard yeah. maybe and most will have hard. most will have like a minimum order quantity as well so exactly before i got my vacuum forming machine i was looking to get these trays formed sort of in a factory but they're looking right. at sort of three to four thousand as a minimum order Oy. because obviously yeah. they need to set up their machine and do all the rest right. of it so you know it, it, it can be done at home but again it, it it's not the best protection for shipping and when you're looking sure. for that that you know that magic sort of balance between looking really cool and you know looking really plush and mm. luxurious you also need it to be you know hardcore and protective for the knife which that's that's the struggle you know what would be you know what would be cool and 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 anybody wants to use this idea go ahead <laughs> is you do a big kydex sheet you get your kydex sheet because you know you buy kydex and it's not that cheap i mean not that expensive and you do a big like uh, the size of a uh, priority box, and you and you kydex up two pieces with your knife inside. So when you open it up, you get this sheet with this crazy knife inside, and you could <laughs> mm. do that. Feel free, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. And I was I, when I was doing that with the, with the vacuum forming, which which is I think it's basically what you're saying to do with the kydex, really. So it takes takes the form, takes the shape of the knife. Right. Um, you can go down a rabbit hole. So there's this whole sort of thing called flock in, then, which you know that lovely sort of cloth lining. So you just take your normal plastic, which you formed, and then you you flock it, which is uh, yeah, flock it. lots, of, yeah, lots of little bits of cloth yeah. that goes on. Flock it and just flock it. There's a whole community of flockers. They love flocking. Yeah, mother mother flockers. <laughs> the whole thing. You'll flock them. Flock you. Let's go, baby. Flock it. All right. Hey, man. Can I ask you a question? Well, well, well. Here we are again. Hey, man. Can I ask you a question? Oh, with that said. Let's just start in with, we've just made it a, a decision, a conscious decision, and I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, hey, man, can I ask you a question to turn into something? I know that uh, uh, earlier last week I was on, uh, I was watching Will Stelter, the, uh, our good buddy Will Stelter. Was, he does a lot of live feeds. Unfortunately, he seems to think live feeding while you're painting is a good idea, but you've got to figure that out. Literally so he was on live yeah, it was literally it was crazy. I was just like, dude, is this what's going to happen when Alex shows up to Montana? You're just going to like paint, <laughs> live feed where you paint? So he was he was doing the live feed, and I came in, and he goes, oh, Fader's here. And I wrote, hey, man, can I ask you a question? And then his mother was on, and I said, oh, his mother's on. Hey, Will's mom, can I ask you a question? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it turned into this funny thing, and I thought, you know what would be funny would be is if we start to do as – um, knife talk podcast if we started to go on to people's live streams and ask them a question or we use the lives uh instagram live more often to have uh interactive uh opportunity with our listeners to do like a mobile version or a gorilla version of hey man <laughs> can i ask you a question so it almost sounds like trolling <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we're we're in this together. I think that uh, you know we're going to try to not be assholes, and no, we'll you know, do it in a we're nice going to try to the nicest way. So either Mareko or Craig or I will at some point, you know, zip around. And if we're on uh, the knife talk and we see you doing a live, we're encouraging you to do a live. Maybe we'll hop in and we'll ask you a question, or you can ask us a question. We'll try to be more interactive. So that's that. All right. The first, hey man, can I ask you a question? comes from Hyde Handmade, and he asks, what nugget of knowledge do you wish you knew as a novice knife maker? I love that question. I'm still a novice. Still a novice. Um, well, I mean, what, what do you know? What would you know? What would you wish you told younger Craig that you know now? Oh, I, I think maybe take your time. 
get everything perfect before moving on to the next knife because definitely sort of guilty of that you know my goal is always to make the the best knife that i can not the fastest so yeah take your time make sure everything's perfect but you know but if you do make a mistake finish it um because you know that finishing will allow you to practice other stages it may not be a knife that you you know that you're going to sell or give away to somebody but you can still put that practice in by finishing that knife so yeah um take your time and and finish what you start yeah finish what you start i've actually got a a big poster up in my shop saying finish what you start because i'm terrible at it so that would be what i'd tell little craig little craig what about what about what about little momasi fire arts what would you uh what would you tell young Moreco. Uh, I wish that I had better understood and, uh, that it's okay for things to build slowly. I think what I know now is that for the, the best legacy and longevity is for things to build slow. And I think too often, especially if you're trying to do this full time, uh, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the rat race of getting the most followers or getting, I, I don't know, just like all of that kind of stuff. The most recognition is like, you know what, it's okay, just take your time, let it build up organically because what the best thing is about going the slow way is building up a community around you as well. So you have people that are with you from the very beginning that say, I've known him since he first started or I've been following him since he first started and they're proud to feel like they've been part of that journey and they get to actually watch that journey. Um, and I think I got caught up myself a little bit, especially, I think it was a lot of the pressure from being full time was trying to get, uh, as much kind of like recognition or get as many followers as possible, just cause that seemed to be the metric that translated into a viable business basically, but that doesn't actually necessarily translate into a viable business or sustainable business. And so I think, I wish I had, uh, somebody who was there who said it's okay it's gonna take a little time but as long as you care about it and that's the biggest filter is like if you're okay with it taking time that's gonna that's a big identifier i think for a lot of people of whether or not they're doing the work that they're meant to do or that they're good at is that they're willing to for it to take time Mm, and to go slow um but yeah i wish i had somebody to say it's all right just do the work you're gonna get there especially if you're doing work good work you build up that community around you, you're going to be fucking unstoppable. Yeah. But it's going to take time. Well, I, I think that that's very, I mean, I'm, I was going to say along the same things. And I know that, that when people, especially if you, if you're going to take uh, a class, if you're going to go take a, a knife making class, and this is the first time you made a knife, a lot of times people are going to have this expectation. You're going to have this feeling of this one's got to be good. This is the first time I'm doing this. I need to make sure that this one's good. And a lot of times people don't understand and allow themselves to realize that the first 20 are not, if you, the first 20 aren't going to be great. And, and, and understand that you're not going to walk into the, walk in and be a black belt right off the bat. And it's, it's, that's the hardest part. Even when I took a Nick Anger class, I was, and I've been a knife maker for a while. I was like, this one's got to be good. And, and, and you're, you're don't, you know, you got to make sure this is good. And it was hard to just allow the learning to happen. And I, I totally agree with the both of you. It's just this idea of not putting too much pressure on yourself that they got to be good off the bat or not have a little bit of awareness that the first couple are going to suck. So you just got to let them suck. And, and every time you do it again, they suck less. So suck less. All right. Here's the next yeah. question. Um, 
Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> that that one is my favorite one, by the way. That one, I think that even beats Carl's. So this is from uh, Knife Talk alumni, alumni Fingal Ferguson, who asks, I'm on the verge of buying a variable speed disc grinder. Are they worth it? What are the benefits? Mm. I think, Jeff, you should start that one off. Definitely. <clears throat> I'm with I Fingal will tell here. you this. I'm with Fingal because I'm on the verge myself. So, Jeff, you need to sell it to me. I'm going to sell it to you <laughs> without a sponsor and without a company behind me. Because, listen, guys, here's how it is. If you want me to say your name, you got to, you know, I'm putting my fingers together here. So, let's, <laughs> let's, so I'm not going to tell you who to get, but we're talking, you know, fingers. So... I tell you what, when I first started to get, when I first, when Carl was my intern, I had to teach hand sanding. I had to teach my system of hand sanding. And when we were doing stainless steel, it was a lot harder off the the belts. Even if you go, even no matter what your progression is, it's a lot harder because it was just harder. It was it was harder to hand sand. So with hand sanding, you're doing the peaks and the valleys, and you got to take off the peaks and you got to get to the valleys, right? So what a disc grinder will do, there's a couple different things. One is you're going to take the high spots off to make it easier to get to your final dimension, and it's going to show you the high spots a lot easier. Uh, the low spots. It's going to show you where your low spots are. It's going to show your high spots, and it is going to, t- if you hand finish your hand sand your work, it's going to make it easier to get to that stage. It will cut down your hand sanding by, by half easy. The second mm. thing is... If you're doing uh, like handles, I use for when I did all the Cuban knives. I actually I br- I I broke all the corners and I rounded the profiles of the knives with the disc grinder, and they're really awesome for handles. Wah style handles. You uh, if you're they're great for I I th- I it is my f- it's quiet too. That's unbelievable. I but in regards to cutting your time down and your efficiency down. You are hand sanding a lot less, and you're you're able to kind of fine tune your geometry. Like my geometry has gotten so much better because I'm able to kind of like change the paper out. I can change the speed. I'm not putting as much friction on the knife, so I'm not uh, overheating the knife. I'm getting even. I can hold the whole thing on the on the against the disc. I I cannot stress enough how great a disc grinder is. I love them. A variable speed's awesome. And the great thing with the variable speed, if you switch the speeds from forward to reverse, you're getting a different you're not you're you can load the paper up the other way. So you're getting a little oh. bit more wear out of your paper. The paper, how is the paper attached? Is it like a velcro back in or are you using a DC? No. I buy sheets of Rhino Wet. Oh, I didn't say that. I buy sheets <laughs> of sandpaper, and then you get this stuff called feathering, disc feathering paste. It's like a, it comes in like a toothpaste tube, mm-hmm. and it's like a, an adhesive paste, and you kind of like spin it. Uh, I will give a shout. If you want to watch, I will say this. If you want to see how you're supposed to use a disc sander, and I made my decision after I watched this video, go to um, go see Nick Wheeler does a video on disc sanding. I watched his 10-minute disc sanding video, and I pulled the trigger on buying one after I watched his. So Nick Wheeler, as you know, Nick Wheeler does awesome videos, one of the best knife makers in the in the world as far as I'm concerned. But he does incredibly good videos, and his videos on disc sanding, you'll see how he does it, and then he does a. You'll make your decision there. That's my opinion. So it's it's completely changed your your belt progression then. Yeah. 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 Okay. For sure. I'm not going straight from the belts to hand sanding. I'm actually using less belts, 
and I'm finishing everything off on the disc grinder, disc sander. I love the disc sander. I think it's great. I mean, it's it's, mm. it's not going to help you with, I mean, if you're doing full flat grinds, it's going to be great. If you're doing anything, you know, hollow grinds, you're out, yeah. you know, um, and it's not yeah. going to help you too much with, uh, if you're doing uh, S grinds, it's not going to help you in that middle part, but it does. Definitely not. <laughs> it's, yeah, for sure. But it definitely is one of those things that will refine your, your blade profile. You'll see, you'll see any problems that you had all through the disc grinder. Cool. Uh, off, off the belt sander. You know, this is something we should definitely speak about next week, sort of our, our belt progression and how we go from our standard stock to a finished blade. Because um, that's probably the question that I'm asked the most, actually. You know, what belts are you using? What, what grits are you using? So, you know, we could talk about that for probably some time. So maybe we can do that next week. And it also gets a little bit dicey because people are like, well, why are you going to that? Why do you jump into that? Well, hmm. you know, it's, it's like, it's also one of those things is like, you know, how, why do you brush your teeth that way? There's certain things that, you know, <laughs> they're going to be a little bit, you know, the way I do things are going to be different the way you do. Things. Yeah, exactly. So I, exactly. Know. Hey man, can I ask you a question? All right. Here's a, in honor of Carl, here's the question I love, I like the most. This comes from Jesse Savage Blacksmith. Why does Jeff hate handpicks? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let you guys answer, and then I'm gonna tell you the correct answer. Because I've seen I've seen Jeff's hands, so obviously you're not gonna want them in a picture. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. Okay. That's that's answer number one. That's uh, yeah. I think well, Jeff has made it clear that he thinks it's about people comparing the size of their schwanz to uh, their hands, and so. I, I just I don't understand. Why do you go there, Jeff? All right. Why do you think about that? I'll give you the fu- <laughs> I'll give you the funny answer, and I'll give you the real answer. The funny answer is I like a little controversy that I can talk my way out of. I think it's funny. I think that it's fine. I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't give a shit what you do. Do go ahead. Do whatever you want. If you want to do whatever you want. This is the real, and I think it's funny that people been people get mad about it that I say something. And I like that. I like a little bit of controversy. I'm not here for. Being funny, I want to tell jokes. So that's number one. Number two is the real answer is I feel like in this business, you've got to figure out a way to separate yourself out from everybody else. And and the handpicks became something that I just started to mm. notice as something that, oh, this guy's doing it, so I'm going to do it. And I was actually, when I was talking to Jared uh, last week, he was asking me if I thought there was going to be a bubble um, is there going to be a bubble with all, so many new makers coming up? And what I said to him was, well, if people can figure out a way to separate themselves or differentiate themselves from other, other people and not focus on pictures for other knife makers to like, but pictures that customers are going to like, then they're not going to have to worry if there's a bubble because then you're not really necessarily buying a knife. You're buying something that was made by somebody that you recognize. I want Mareko's knife. I want Jeff's knife. I want Craig's knife. Mm-hmm. So. If you're going to do those stupid pictures, go ahead. I'm just going to take your customers because what you're doing is, is you're <laughs> you're not allowing yourself to be as individual as you want. And what you're going to do is you're just you're giving a picture that customers are not going to care. They're not going to your buying decision and I disagree with what Alex said a while ago about, you know, he said that it's okay, he likes it. I disagreed with him because I felt like you're not if you're trying to be in business, you've got to figure out your demographic, not, you know, other knife makers that you, you know, it's nice to be appreciated by other knife makers in your community, but they're not the ones buying your knives. So I, I just think right. that you've got to figure out a way 
to branch yourself out, to make your, it's about, and this is the reason why it's Fader Knives and not something else, is I'm trying to connect it with me because I'm trying to create something a little bit more than just getting a black knife from a store. You know, I'm trying to create something a little bit more, uh, you're getting something from a person. And part of that is being original and figuring out different ways to do things. I, mean, I posted that picture uh, last week of me in like some pathetic, you know, lotus position. And it was a funny picture, but I was like, I, 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 after we took, after Carl took the picture and I looked at it, I was just like, yeah, nobody does that. So I'm trying to figure ways in which to be a little bit different to set myself apart. And I think that the hand picks just that to me says, all right, well, I'm not thinking too hard about this. I'm making the knife in my shitty hands and that's going to be enough. And then it's not going to be enough. So that's, that's the, the, my reason. So Jesse, there you go. And I must say, I apologize for the last episode. I called our listeners gutless. And I, now that I think about it, now that I think about it, I still think you're gutless. This is why you're gutless now. You're gutless now because it was like chirping cricket. You know, two weeks ago you were at mentioning at me, at mentioning me, and now it's crickets. So you're gutless for listening to me. You're gutless for listening to me. And I love you, but you're gutless. That's the answer for that. You ready for another question? Hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right, this one is made for Garmin. This is by Garmin Made. I'm looking to buy a Radius Platin, and I was wondering what works best for a chef knife. All minor flat. Radius Platin. All minor flat. Well, what do you use, Mareko? Like, what would be, like, even if you were going to make one? Yeah, so I made mine. Uh, it's just a piece of two inch by half inch mild steel uh, that was bent and then welded onto a piece of angle iron. Um, but I I shot for replicating a six foot diameter wheel, so a three foot radius, uh, depending on how people put them up. Uh, but actually, I don't know if anybody's really selling them except for our boy uh, Bill Bennett uh, Banky. The greatest, Banky? yeah, yeah. I, I always screw. I don't that know up. if I don't but know if I call him our boy. I mean, he's older than all of us. <laughs> he's the best. He's our homie. He's our, our homie. homie. No, he's, he's our homie. He's, he's the greatest. Guy. He's been he's on the show. He's been uh, on the show in the past. Um, he's fantastic. He has. He's a fantastic. Yeah. He's he, my and he favorite. He makes all kinds of tools, uh, and he's working on developing a line of radius platens that uh, can are pretty versatile. Versatile across different machines. Um, and I got actually, I got a whole. I don't know enough. I'm supposed to be talking about this, but uh, I, I think it'll help boost them up. But uh, yeah, I got a hold of one to test, and it's good. It's good. And so I think it's gonna. If people want to get in there and do a radius platen, it, it's you know, if you got the skills and the and the tools to make your own, sure, make your own. But save yourself some time. Maybe uh, it's probably worth it to just buy one from somebody who's doing one or right. who's having them made. And, uh, yeah, so, but I, I like, I like the six foot radius or sorry, six foot diameter, three foot radius, uh, essentially replicating a large wheel, um, which especially in Japan, they use super large wheels anywhere from three foot to, I think like eight or nine feet sometimes, um, for grinding their knives. And, um, but I, uh, when they do like a single bevel Yanagiba, like a sashimi knife or a sushi knife, um, they have a hollow on the backside, and it is from that large wheel. And it's, of course, it depends on who the grinder is, but it's usually between four and six feet. And there so I like the six foot because it's it's subtle. It it does the job of creating the S grind, 
but it's not so dramatic that it kind of cuts the life short of the knife. Because you'll see some uh, folks who are doing super deep uh, S-grinds that go like straight down to the middle of the knife uh, almost. And, you know, once you get up or get to the bottom of that trough, like it's done versus the way I grind mine, it's sustainable literally throughout the entire life of the knife. In fact, you, you might have to go back in and recut it or have it recut uh, because uh, versus that that hollow doing a disservice to the knife. Uh, so, yeah, I like it because it's shallow, it does the job, uh, and it's sustainable over the life of the knife. Six-foot diameter. So these That's are alternatives tough. to wheels. So I assume, I assume if you've got a, a grinder which isn't variable speed, you couldn't use, mm. you know, well, obviously you couldn't on a standard grinder anyway, you know, a six-foot wheel, because the speed of the the outer edge of that wheel would, would be huge. So you don't, you, I mean, oh you just need God. to bump out your platform. You need to bump out your platform. Yeah, yeah, got you. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. I would imagine you could probably just take a two-by-four and kind of, like, shape it and try to, just to get an idea and, sure. you know, figure out a way to tape it to your platen. I'm sure that you could figure something out, but, you know, in the meantime, but you got to make it happen. All right. Yeah, long term, hey, metal's going to be best. <laughs> hey man, can I ask you a question? This comes from NMB Steel and Leather. What does everyone's personal knife look like? Ooh, personal knife at home. Yes, man. I was... Or wherever, personal knife in your car. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> I Just driving around with knives in your car. I've got this hodgepodge of an unperfect knives of my own. Um, which never got to a customer. They're like, so, hey, to the wife, I've got got you a present. <laughs> so they're up on the knife rack. Um, but I'm using a lot of, um, I always talk about Florentine knives, but I'm using a Florentine chef knife, um, which I've had for probably a couple of years now. And it stood up to the test of time. It's It's a great knife. So that's, I'm either using one of my own or I'm using a Florentine knife, basically. What about you, Mareko? Love it. I, I actually, we have... One of my own knives here. Um, I gave it to my wife as a wedding gift. Um, and so I figured that was the only way that I I could convince her <laughs> uh, to let us have one of our knives if it was a gift to her. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it, it, was, it was at a time when, uh, you know, I was fledgling. Like, I was just starting the business. And so it, it was going to be a pretty financial, big financial hit to just absorb that cost. Mm. Um, but we have... The one chef's knife, we have some like janky little shitty paring knives that we keep around the house just for like little stuff, quick stuff. Um, And then we also have a a sweet bread knife that I made that started out as a chef's knife and I could not get the finish to to come out properly on it. And it was going to go to a customer and I was like, nope can't do that and i had started all over so i let set that knife aside and i turned that and then i was like you know what it would be cool to practice uh cutting serrations and make this into a bread knife because my wife had just started uh bread baking and uh she was making this incredible bread and so why not have a really sweet knife to cut that bread with and uh, so those are the two fancy and, knives and that was the knife i cut, brought with me on that was the knife i had on the epicurious video yeah 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 well, what do you got, Jeff? I got I have my Wustoff from culinary school that I've still been using, uh, and uh, I I actually I've only recently had a knife of my own, and it was a knife I forged at Jesse Savage's a few years ago. 
uh, and uh, on his 25 pound little giant. And it just, it wasn't mm. really something that I wanted to sell. It didn't really look like it. It wasn't, it didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. And I decided to, I wanted to take a look at, you know, how unstabilized uh, walnut holds up and carbon steel and little brass. So I have a, my own little beater. It's, it's nothing special. Uh, it's not something I could really get rid of. I mean, I could get rid of it. Trust me. I could heave it into the woods if I wanted to, but it's not <laughs> something I could sell. And, and, um, it's just, a. I I just wanted to see how, how my knives hold up in terms of, you know, the handles and it's different than everything else I've ever done. And it's been a lot of fun kind of fooling around with it. And, you know, hmm. Yeah, I think it's and important some to, to use your own stuff because you know you need to make sure yeah. that it's that it's working, that it's gonna you know it's gonna hold up to time. So I yeah. I made a like Mareko was saying a bread knife. So I made a bread knife probably about six months ago, and actually with a lot of help from Mareko, he 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 actually called in and gave me gave me a bit of a bit of help. Um, but you know I, I've been using that, and I, I wanted to see how that's going to hold up, and it's held up well. So I think I'm going to start making sort of a not a production line of them, but, you know, to start offering them to customers. Um, but it's not something that I do if I hadn't tested it for some time myself. Because who yeah. knows, you don't want, you know, two months down the line, a bunch of knives coming back to you because, you know, the wood that you used is swelling or, you know, for whatever reason. Well, I'm glad it could be helpful. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> All right, this comes from Hall Blades. Chef Knife Heels. Heel to spine is two and a half to three inches. Is that too tall? If so, why? And please know, do what you want answers. You know, he's like, he wants a real answer. He doesn't want me to say, ah, make whatever the hell you want. Hmm. So he wants to know if, if uh, what's the size of the heels of your knives and what's correct and what's not correct. Hmm. My- if there is something like that, I don't even think there is something correct. Yeah, I mean, my, my standard chef knife is, is 50 mil, um, which is, I suppose that's two inches. Um, yeah. and that that's just seems to work well for me. It's, it's, it gives you a nice weight. I'm generally using sort of a, either a 2.3 or a three mil stock. So if you're using a, a two inch or 50 mil heel, it, it tends to give quite a nice weight. Um, and I, I don't think you need any bigger really. I mean, it's, I don't think there's any right or wrong, but my personal preference would be around about the two inches. Uh, I think two and a half to three inches. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a chef's knife anymore. That that's starting to get into like Chinese cleaver kind of range. I think the issue. I mean, obviously, sorry, he doesn't want to hear, it, but you can do what you want. But I think moreover, um, you're gonna have a hard time finding people who are really excited to buy knives that are outside of what is considered kind of the norm when it comes to at least dimensions and that part of that dimension is the heel height. Uh, two inches I think is a pretty solid standard. Uh, I take mine to about two and an eighth or two and a quarter at the very most but outside of that it starts to get kind of awkward more than anything just to use. Um, but the the when you get up to two and a half to three inches you're starting to get into a little bit of this specialized area and I think people's argument would be well that means it's got that much more life on the knife but if it's awkward to use like what's what's the benefit and so um but ultimately like if your customer wants a two and a half inch to three inch knife like yeah build them a two and a half three inch knife but you know i think you if you're doing it on your own and then you think you're going to turn around and flip that knife pretty easily 
you're getting to a specialized range where you're, you're, I guess, the number of people who are going to be interested in that size of a knife is getting smaller and smaller, and it's going to be harder and harder to find those people. Same thing goes for, like, super long chef's knives. People, some people want to make 12-inch long chef's knives. Like, I don't know very many people out there who really like to use 12-inch long chef's knives. No. Uh, you're starting to get into a short sword yeah, situation. Yeah, for sure. Point. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's my opinion. I, I think that, you know, I got, I, I, um, I started, when I first started basing my knives, I did two inches because that's what, you know, my Wusthof is inch and seven eighths. And I like that. And a lot of it has to do with how you're, like you were saying, how you're holding it. If you're making a 10 inch chef's knife with a two and a half inch heel, all of a sudden your radius is different and your, your, the, mm. the handle is going to be higher up. Then, if it were at two inches, you're actually going to be at a different standing position. So, I I don't necessarily think. And I made some two and a half inch heels. I made a two and a quarter inch heel. It's a lot of knife. All of a sudden, you don't think so, but it becomes. It's a lot more knife. And um, I just think that I don't think two and a. I think two and a quarter is 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 the farthest I'd go, unless, like you said, somebody wants something specialized. Then then that's it. And I, 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 you know, is there a right or wrong? You, you know, there, there's that stupid video, that weird guy in Russia chopping shit in the woods and making the chopping noises. You know, he's making like burgers in the fire and he's got that, you know, he's got like a, basically a plowshear for a knife. You know what I'm talking about? What video is this? <laughs> no, this is this Russian, it's a incredible. Russian dude. It's, um, it's, it's this guy, who, he's in like, I don't know if he's in Russia or he's somewhere in the woods and it's always snowing. And he, they'll do a close-up of some wooden board that he found in the woods, and then he'll make into the. You know, it's on a, a lot on Facebook, and then he'll like chop up with. He's got this. It looks like a sharpened shovel. This knife is so goddamn big, and he's chopping up mincing, and then he's making everything over the fire. It's this whole big production. This guy is like this Russian mental patient, but he's got like a million follow, million views because he's making these like you know, it's like. You know, hashtag food porn. It's gooey, and there's always some bullshit going on. And he's got that big ass snow shovel knife. I thought you guys oh knew about God. it. Well, no. that's it. No, do you want to do one more question, or you want to head out? Let's do it. Head out in the beefs. All right. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> okay. Now we're gonna have a question from Josh Scott Knives. What in your background do you attribute most of your success as a knife maker? Josh Scott, deep questions, bringing it, bringing it home from Ohio. Miranda, Go ahead, do you somebody take that first. What sure, from I'll your start. background? What from your background do you attribute what the most your of your success as a knife maker? Go ahead. Well, I kind of touched on this uh, on one of my first uh, notes to young knife maker, but I think what. Uh, what it, attribute has really helped lend success for me is, has been the fact that I make knives that I know how to use. I make culinary knives. I make chef's knives, kitchen knives, because I know how to use those knives. And I think the people who make the knives they know how to use uh, are going to be the most successful because you you, you understand how balanced should I mean, whether the balance is blade heavy, handle heavy, right in the middle, you've worked with a bunch of different knives that have those kind of qualities. You understand how it's supposed to feel, whether you're doing some rock chopping and mincing, or if you're, uh, you know, doing some draw cut or push cutting. Um, you know, I think I, what has really helped me be successful is knowing the knife. Um, 
before even trying to make something. Like, if I made a hunting knife, like, it'd probably be a good hunting knife, but I've never broken down an animal. I could never say this is a really, really great hunting knife. It might be the best hunting knife you'll ever use. That would be a, a total lie, but with my chef's knives, I feel yeah. a bit more comfortable saying, you know, this could be one of the best knives you ever use. I'll never say that it is because, you know, people have different opinions, but yeah, I think knowing the tool has has made me successful in making culinary knives, chef's knives. Yeah. What about you, Craigie Poo? Um, I mean, I've never worked in a professional kitchen, but I love cooking. I cook every day. It's something I look forward to. So in a similar vein to Morocco, I think it's spending time in the kitchen, um, understanding what works, what doesn't work. But on a sort of professional level, um, I was a designer for, you know, 18 years before making my first knife. So I think that plays quite a big part in the knives that I make. They all they all start on a screen, um, which I then print off a mock-up before making a profile. So I can see how it feels in the hand then. Then I can go back to the screen if need be to make any any corrections. Um, and with regards to sort of the, the whole marketing side of things as well, I think, you know, having a design background maybe helps there as well. But I think there's, there's many skills that you could bring to the table, you know, no matter, no matter what you are. I say most people will cook. So most people have, you know, a knowledge of what, what works as a knife. Um, and whatever, you know, which, whichever corner of the earth you come from, you, you can have something that you can bring to the table to make your knife different to anybody else's. Well, I, for me, I definitely think that being an, a sculptor for so long, it's the, for me, has been a huge help. And because a lot of it's because what you have an idea of what you're going to make and then you design it and then you execute it and you see it all the way through what that is. It's so freeing for me because it helps me to just say, it's not just like, well, I wish I could make something. I know what I'm going to do and I make it happen. So it's one of those things that it became, you become a little bit, once you can execute, especially giant sculpture, you become a little bit more fearless about other things. That was a huge thing for me uh, in terms of just, saying I'm going to do this. And it was, it was very, you know, I was very lucky that I was, uh, that I was able to have that mindset. Cause I think it's the mindset of, of what your background is, is like, you know, you don't think too strongly about it and you just make it happen. The other thing is I worked in a lot of metal shops. One, besides being a blacksmith at the center for metal arts, I was a Finnish sander at a place where we did ornamental uh, ironwork for buildings. We did a ton of cladding. We did a so much hand sanding. We were hand sanding. We were doing directional stainless steel. We were. I was learning about finishing, and we were using tons of sandpaper, stroke sanders, and belt sanders, and DA sanders, and you get this understanding of this work, this tedious work, and how you can just kind of vision your way through it. So. Um, my experience in the shops that I was in, plus being a sculptor were, was just, I mean, tremendous, tremendous. Cause I, I'm not hundred percent sure I would have had the confidence to make these things done. Like this last project of 37 knives, I don't think mm-hmm. I would have had the confidence to be able to do it all if I hadn't been in shops where it was, you know, we had deadlines and we had to pull out a lot of materials and we had to build elevators and build railings and build... If you don't have that vision, it becomes daunting and you just can't get past it. So my experience as a metal worker was uh, was huge too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So, hey man, thanks for the questions. You know Let's what? Let's keep doing it. <laughs> we, we've had a few people asking, I mean, since we had Jared on the show last week, we've had a few people, few people saying, man, can I be on the show? And I mean... It's not an open door. We, we, we're the hosts, and Gerard come in and did us a huge favor, and he did a great job. But if you do want to be on the show, 
I mean, you could. You could always send a video. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? We can rip off that audio and put it into the show. So if you've got a question for us, oh, yeah. send oh, yeah. us a video. I mean, put it on your on your feed. Start it with, hey, man, can I ask you a question? And we could take that audio and you can be in the show. And wear right. your clothes. Oh, definitely wear clothes. Definitely. Wear, wear your clothes. clothes. Just trust me. I actually... Go on, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I will say is somebody wrote, I you know, we started following everybody because we want to have this interaction with people. And somebody wrote, I'm only 14 years old and I make not and then there was this blurred picture. And all I could think of is, oh my God, please, please have your clothes on. Please have your clothes on. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. That's why I'm saying it. I was nervous. It was just, you know, I'm 14 years old and there's this blurred picture coming up. I'm like, what the hell kind of podcast is this? So now we're this is we're now we're at beef time. Let's go into the beefs. Who the hell are you following? Jeez. Craig's Community Showcase. So, talking of young boys. <laughs> that's oh, that's oh a terrible God. intro. This is terrible. <laughs> but we've got a, six, <laughs> a 16-year-old bladesmith from Wyoming, oh, which, I, no. which, I've, which I found right. on Instagram this week. Um, Jack Henry Knives, which is Jack underscore Henry underscore Knives. This guy's 16, and he's making some amazing stuff. He's making his own Damascus, and he's got this beautiful feather Damascus. It's it's beautiful. And he's got this beautiful Kruvi uh, Damascus knife with, well, it's a Samai as well, so it's, you know, it's 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 a folded. It's it's beautiful. So take a look at his profile. It's Jack underscore Henry underscore knives. Um, really great handlework too. And this kid's just 16. Cool. So go, go check out his work. Let's check it out. Also got a website at jackhenry.com. I love these young. I tell you what, after Liam Hoffman made it happen, all these young guys are coming through with the oh, heavy, yeah. heavy heat, and I love it. Well, it's beef time. I think I got to go last. Sorry, you got to go last. I'm gonna oh, get too crazy. Okay. I get, I get so fired up that I get a little bit. I, I, I get close to passing out. I got my head. I, my the blood rushes to my head, <laughs> and I can't handle it anymore. So I think I. Just, okay. Yeah. Morocco. Well, I'll go first. Beef. Yeah. Okay. This week, I kind of touched on it actually a little bit at the beginning. Uh, but so, if you ever go to a knife show, um, and especially as a as a exhibitor there, one of the things that drives me absolutely bonkers and pisses me off, and it actually offends me a little bit, is when people pick up their knife. They first they're very polite. They ask to pick up your knife and take a look at it, and then the next thing they do is put their fingers along the cutting edge to check the sharpness. And I'm just thinking, are you fucking stupid? Like, the you're going to cut worst. your finger open. The worst. And f- first off, if if the knife is taken up to a really high finish, it actually doesn't feel that sharp. You don't feel that toothiness. Mm. And it's because it's been taken to such a fine finish, those micro serrations along the cutting edge are microscopic. So you're not really going to feel them. And so people feel along the cutting edge and they're rubbing their fingers and stuff. I'm like, you're an idiot. You're going to like, get out of here. Do you know what that means though? You're going to get blood all over my knife and I'm going to get fucking pissed. You know what that means though? When they're, when they're sticking their, when they're, my mother did that to me once and I almost threw out of the shop. It's not, it's not, (laughs) they're, they put their thumb on in their mind. They're saying, I'll see how sharp this is. I'll be the inspector. I'll see how yeah, sharp it yeah. is. And then they put exactly. their glasses down on the end of their nose. And I'll be the judge of this. It's very, it's a narcissism and it's obnoxious. I'm with you. 
I'm with you 100%. Yeah. I, wait, well, hey, uh, wait, Will. But just, I'm going to ask you a question right now. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? What do I do when I go to knife shows? You don't touch anything. I don't touch shit. If you these people <laughs> say, "Hey, pick it up," I won't touch a fucking thing. I won't touch a goddamn thing because I know how much work <laughs> you guys do. It. I say that. I always say that when you see me at a knife show, I'll always say, "I don't touch. I don't touch. I don't touch." You know, talking about touch. knife shows, we may have some news very soon about a oh. about something happened at a knife show, and I'm going to leave it at that. Where's the beef? That's a. That's a good radio tease right there, Craigie boy. <laughs> I've got a beef, a serious beef. People on Instagram, and it's it's normally companies, um, they may have a product or a service for other knife makers, and they're using half-naked women to promote their product. What the hell? I mean, some don't even show the product. What are you yeah. looking for, half-naked men? <laughs> uh, nice, nice. Um, but I mean, some aren't showing the product as if we're all, you know, knuckle draggers who can't help themselves if we see, a, you know, a cheeky nipple or a, an arse cheek. You know? <laughs> this, this isn't the 1970s. The days of harmless Benny Hill style titillation is over. It's done. Oh. So be more creative. Don't be lazy. And show us your product in the best light. I'm, yeah, I'm, baby, show us your product. I'm not going to name any names, but one of these companies, they produce, well, they're factory knives, but they're sold in most cookware stores. And I can't believe they think this is doing them any favours, you know? So put the work in, really? come up with a different angle, because it's just, it's just insulting. It's insulting. Yeah, put your clothes on. Beef over. Come on. No one wants to see your nanny beautiful naked people. Come on. We all want to see your well, it, awful knives. Back to sorry, oh. sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing. Hot on the trigger. My favorite uh, thing. I was just gonna say, it kind of goes back to Jeff's uh, point about the hand picks. Is it's not creative. It's it's dumbing it down yeah. instead of it's being more thoughtful about how you present yourself. It's low. Uh, well, like, it's low. There's plenty of places to look at half naked plate women. Like you don't have to do it with your knife. Yeah, and there's plenty of women who make knives too. You know. I'm gonna tell you something. I, I sure. might be. I might not a hundred percent agree with you. I might be a little for it. You know, a little clever, wait, wait, a little clever. Naked women. I mean, not for it a hundred percent. I'm not a hundred percent. But I mean, I'm not a. I mean, not a hundred percent for it, but a little bit. I mean, come on, we'll live a little. You know, this is Instagram here. How about a little? You know, we gotta be. We have to wear burkas all the time. But take. You know, if you want to be in your swimsuit, you know so bad about that we don't want to see any pics of you in a, in a swimsuit jeff oh that's not gonna happen that's not gonna happen <laughs> oh. all right this is a personal beef and i'm gonna put somebody on blast this happened to me recently and it infuriated me i as you know i was in the art world for a little bit i actually dealt with galleries i dealt with museums i dealt with art dealers i dealt with a lot of artists so i recently got someone slipped into my dms and they said, hi, I'm so-and-so, and this, you know, so-and-so, the gallery, gallerist from the whatchamacallit gallery told me to contact you. I'd like to come into your shop and forge some sculpture for an upcoming show. So at first I was immediately irritated, and then I decided, well, let me look at this guy's work. So I go to his Instagram page, and there, all to behold, are piles of expandable foam, urinal cakes, a little bit of rebar here and there. And I'm starting to get furious because this isn't, this isn't a blacksmith. This isn't a really even a sculptor. 
So I, as I usually do when I'm irritated, I'll, I'll forward it to my buddy John Ariane, Sunset Forge, and say, "What do you think of this?" And he starts laughing, and and and, and I'm starting to get irritated. <laughs> I'm getting irritated. Love that guy. I'm getting irritated for this reason. These goddamn gallerists, they think that I. It, it's like it's there. So basically, I got angry, and then I decided, I decided I'm going to write this guy back. And I basically, I had to think about what I was going to say, and I wrote back, "Hey, man." I don't think I don't think it's going to work. And he's, well, why not? And I'm like, well, I've seen your work, and I don't think it's going to happen. And he said, I don't understand what you mean. And he said, well, you know, this particular gallerist said that you'd be receptive from, to me coming in. And I, and I wrote to him, I'm like, look, man, this expandable foam and urinal cakes ain't going to work over here at Fader Knives. I, this is a business. This is a business number one. I'm I'm a business person. This isn't this isn't a yeah. maker space. This isn't. I said, and, and number two. You're, this ain't happening. Your work ain't happening. You're, I'm not opening my shop up to you. Now, if you were Peter Braspinix, uh, Fire Forge, if you were Pat Quinn, if you were Sunset Forge, I'm opening up my door and I'm giving you the keys and I'm leaving. You can have my shop. But this motherfucker here, and I don't know him. He might be a perfectly nice guy, but he just thinks that just because he's maybe, you know, bent a little rebar, he thinks I'm going to shut everything down so he can work on his shitty sculptures in my shop. Well, guess what, dude? It's not happening. And you know what? It's not really even his fault. It's the fault of these cocksucker. Sorry about that, but that's true. I'm getting mad. I'm Michael's about to pass out. It's up these goddamn, these, these, these gallerists, they're, they don't know shit about sculpture. And what happens is... They get fired up and they try to dangle some carrot in front of someone's face. So don't worry, I got the keys to Fader's shop. You can use his shop. No, no, you can't. So, so if you're gonna slip into my DMs and ask to use my shop, or better yet, ask to visit my shop, guess what? I'm looking at your shit. And if it ain't happening, I'm just gonna write. I don't think I can do it, man. It ain't happening. So I'm telling you this with peace and love. You can't use my shop. I don't like you. You're an artist that I, I don't like you, and I don't like the art world, and I don't like gallerists, and I and I don't even like myself. So that's where we're at. So there you go. That's my beef. I was really fucking pissed off, too. This guy, he I mean, we're talking, I'm not kidding when I said expandable foam and urinal cakes. That ain't, that ain't sculpture. That's a horse shit. I don't, there's no horse shit in my shop. This is, some, I, this is a real business. This is playing around. Right. And that's it. Now I'm going to pass out. There you go. <laughs> I can I mean, hear it's true. I can hear your heart pumping away there against this the microphone. This truly happened. This truly happened. And I was just like, man, listen, you're getting the wrong information from the wrong people. These gallerists, yeah. you can't use me. I'm not with you. I'm not with you at all. Leave me alone. <laughs> Lose my phone number. It ain't happening. That's it. That's a beef. Real beef. And breathe. That's good. That's and good. breathe. I'm telling you, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> I think that's a show. I think we've got a show. So, Love a reminder it. of people about knifetalk.net. We've got plenty on there. We've got the forum. We've got um, a um, a guide to sort of materials, where you can get your materials and supplies, that kind of stuff. Um, we've got the T-shirts, which are directly on knifetalk.net now. Um, remember that if you're going live and you're following us and we're following you, there's a chance that we may just pop into your into your feed um we may also occasionally just put up a little graphic saying that we're going to be going live if anybody has any questions and it could be either of us myself jeff or Mareko. Um and maybe maybe what we'll do is maybe 
is we'll get stickers made. And if you, we go on your thing and it works out, maybe if we ever get something to send away, maybe if we go on your Instagram Live and you answer a question, maybe we'll send you something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not a bad idea. Maybe not a bad idea. Great Nothing ideas. special. Great idea. Nothing special. And if you've got questions for us, you can record them and then stick them on your feed and just tag us. Knife Talk Podcast on Beefs Instagram. Beefs, too. And your beefs. Beefs, too. Send us your beefs. It'd be great to hear beefs, actually. If, you, if, you, if people want to record their own beefs and just tag us, it'd be great to hear that. <laughs> we could have a whole beef show. <laughs> oh, my God. Hilarious. I love we it. We could do a whole beef show. A whole uh, beef that, show. We should think about maybe for Christmas, have a, have a, a proper beef show. Very festive, Jeff. Very festive. That's it. <laughs> All right, baby. Have a beef. That's the show. See you next week. See you, everybody. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.